0: Welcome to the Realized Gains podcast, a guide to real estate investing. Join our co-hosts, Jordan Lee and Stephen Tran, as we interview a diverse group of real estate investors, both amateur and professional. Our goal is to help you understand that anyone can invest in real estate. Tune in to hear creative strategies and learn from both our mistakes and our successes. You can find us where you love to listen to podcasts on YouTube or at jordanleemortgage.com.
1: Hey guys, welcome to the Portland Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm here with my co-host Jordan Lee, and I'm Stephen Tran. Um, Jordan, who did we have the pleasure of interviewing this week?
0: Yeah, we had a fantastic episode this week. We interviewed Kim Parman, who I've you know had the pleasure of working with on a couple of deals, and uh, she she's a fantastic agent, and she's got a great story too. You know, she started um, as an actor in LA. You can look her up on IMDb. <laughs> we did that. Yeah, we, sure. yeah, we did that, and. Uh, it, she got uh, a payout from a commercial and she, you know, con- converted that into a um, a real estate investment. And, and it wasn't like her plan to, become, yeah. to get into real estate. But I think after she did that, she kind of learned how much equity you could gain by doing renovations. And then she eventually converted that into a career up here in Portland. Um, and she's worked on, you know, a lot of a lot of flips now, as well as negotiating short sales. So
1: yeah, yeah. And what I found really interesting about this episode was, uh, you know, that she does really cater to the Portland market. She doesn't do hmm. standard flips. She really does put her stylistic view into these homes that she works on.
0: She's not buying hundreds of gallons of contractor grays. She's,
1: uh, <laughs> yeah, she's, she's doing a really good job. She's uh, adding a lot of vintage touches that I think is really great and really interesting for this market.
0: It really does sell. Yeah, yeah know your audience, right? Yeah. So really excited for this episode. Let's get into it. Yeah, enjoy the show. Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the Portland Real Estate Investing Podcast. We're here with our guest Kim Parman and Stephen Tran, and myself Jordan Lee.
2: Hello, everybody. <laughs>
0: yeah. So hey, just to get started, Kim, um, could you go ahead and just give us your like your short story, like wh- how would you get to Portland, H- how you ended up here, wh- what what brought you here? I know you have a pretty um, Different path to real estate than a lot of us, so I'd lo- we'd love to for our listeners. We'd love to hear.
2: Yeah, well, um, let's see, I'll try to keep it short. I, I started in real estate. I guess I should start this way. I was living in Los Angeles, um, work trying to work in the entertainment industry, and I did on occasion. Hey, but... you're
0: on IMDb. I saw I, <laughs> I saw you on there. But we we were looking out there before the show.
2: <laughs> well, I should say I was bartending in Los Angeles because that's what you do as, as an aspiring actor. Um, And I was always really wanting to buy a house. Um, I moved around a lot as a kid. And it's something that really appealed to me. And it was impossible in Los Angeles. And then the market crashed. Mm. So in 2011, I happened to actually book a job that paid a lot of money and took that money and immediately used it as a down payment for an FHA loan for a short sale property in kind of a sketchy neighborhood. But it was on a pretty street. And it was the one thing that we could afford to buy. and that's what i wanted to do like we went on a trip to greece and we bought a house <laughs> with the <Nice>. money <laughs> uh, no, it
1: was it like a consistent acting job like you were on a no it was
2: a it was a commercial it was okay. a yeah
0: and they just paid you like a, a lump sum for doing the commercial you like?
2: actually get um residual checks oh okay but it played all the time for a short period of time and so i think i made like 30 grand okay doing that commercial um and took that money and rolled it into an FHA loan and we couldn't, I mean, we were not qualified for very much, especially not in LA. Right. Um, but we happened to stumble into an open house in a, a neighborhood that we weren't really considering in Pasadena and f- really liked it. I mean, the layout was good. It was a pretty street. It needed some work, but it was all workable, you know, and we didn't have any know-how at the time. So, uh, my, I keep saying we, my husband and I, mm. so, we ended up actually going under contract on this house, and we had a great agent, and he pulled us through to the finish line at that point in time, even though there was stuff to do that, like, we paid for things prior to closing in order to make it through. We were there scraping paint <laughs> off of the walls right, to make right. sure it could appraise. Past and, the appraisal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like did a roof on the garage and, you know, like did things that I wouldn't necessarily advise my clients to do as a real estate agent.
0: Oh, wait, you guys did the, the roof on the garage yep. while you were in contract? Yeah, while we were in contract. Amazing. But
2: we needed to make it to close and we happened to get there. Um, and so. We lived in that house for two and a half years and had a kid, and decided at that time my husband had gotten a job um, across town in, in LA. That's a big deal, especially if you're working all the time and you can only come home sometimes. He was in the restaurant industry too. So um, we ended up selling and just made a lot of money at that point off of selling the house. Like, I, I mean, I was somebody who was used to having very little savings. Yeah, working
0: as a bartender. Yeah, working as a
2: bartender, having like $2,000 most of the time in my bank account. And uh, we were able to pay off my husband's student loans and his car and put 20% down on our next house. And the things we had done to that property were paint, you know, change out lighting fixtures. I think we did a bathroom remodel. Mm. And that was it. Like landscaped it. So Mm. we invested a lot of labor. It became something that we really, really loved to work on um, as we were living there. That's kind of what we did for fun in our spare time and just kind of fell in love with the process. And it was something that we took a lot of pride in, but we weren't actually trying to invest in real estate.
0: You were just like, I want this place to be a little nicer to live in.
2: Yeah. We just wanted a nice place to live. So we were working on improving it and decided to sell it and the market had improved to such a degree and we had a desirable house at that point in time that we made a lot of money and we moved somewhere else and then did it again sort of accidentally right Mm -hmm. away because matt my husband was he was managing a new bar and restaurant he was gone like all the time and i had a nine-month-old baby at the time and I spent my free time when she was napping, like stripping hardware, like vintage hardware that had been painted over, or <laughs> buying light fixtures, right. or you know, doing things to make the house nice because I liked it. You know, I mean, it was a kind of a grandma's house. So we pulled up all the carpet, and we ended up doing a kitchen remodel because. Oh wow. Um, well, funny story. We moved into the house. We had purchased a refrigerator to go into the house, and we hadn't measured properly before it got delivered. <laughs> so I showed up with the baby at the house. And there was my husband demoing the kitchen. And I was like, What are you doing? (laughs) We were not planning on remodeling this immediately um, and had never done a kitchen. So it was kind of
1: overwhelming. But I have have a question. Like, why didn't you just buy a new fridge?
2: (laughs) I have no idea. Good question. He apparently didn't think about it. (laughs) So we, I mean, we were planning on remodeling at some point, but it accelerated our timeline. So we would. (laughs) Put the baby down for a nap or to sleep and we got cabinets from ikea and did an, I- an ikea kitchen remodel and nice. um as we were living in that house things sort of changed with my husband's job and we started thinking about potentially opening opening our own bar and restaurant which in, in los angeles that's you need millions of dollars to be able to do that yeah so, what's
0: just the permit cost there? so even
2: just the liquor license the, li- the license um yeah. i think is couple hundred thousand dollars. It's
0: crazy. Because
2: they don't issue a lot of them. Yeah, um, there's only a couple that get issued, so you usually have to buy from somebody who already has one. Um, mm. So the scarcity aspect of oh, it right. makes it Yeah, expensive. it's like getting
0: a taxi emblem in New York, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we kind of started doing research on various places that we had traveled to that we liked or where we had some friends and family, um, and we looked at how easy it was to get our liquor license and how small business friendly places were and how interesting we found the environment and we had our, we're both furgos and we had our lists and our charts and like how many people <laughs> do we know in these locations and um, ended up actually settling on Portland because we had been here. We had some close friends here mm. and we really liked it and it just, everything seemed to line up for us. So we ended up selling that house that we had just bought and made a little bit off of it, even though we weren't intending to after only being there for six months.
0: In six months, you were able to turn it. Wow.
2: Yeah. I mean, with a kitchen remodel and painting and light yeah, fixtures. That's true. And all, I guess you all, did a decent yeah, amount of work. Yeah. And all the things we did. So we, we ended up having a little profit even after selling costs, which was great. And then moved up here with the intention of opening a bar, which we did briefly. Um, and, you know, that's a very difficult business. Mm-hmm. So it ended up not being something that worked out for us in the end. We had a lot of learning lessons from it, but um, I think we were a little too, I don't know, big for our britches at that point coming from LA. Like we didn't understand the Portland market at all. It was really dumb.
1: What were the the major challenges in having a bar
2: here? Food service is always just really challenging. It's not a very profitable business. It takes a lot of hours and time. And I think that we reached a place where it was- Really hard
0: margins if you're not doing all the labor yourself. Jordan knows. Yeah, it's (laughs) just really hard. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So it's it, it was one of those things where I think it had always been a dream of my husband's to have his own place and he got to the place where it was we actually had it and he was like I'd rather be home with my family. I don't want to be here until midnight every night. So we had a lot of reassessing of what our priorities were and um I decided to get a real estate license right around that time because I'd always been interested in it and obviously had...
0: We'd done well with this. Yeah. I mean, this looked cool on paper. Yeah. Or yeah. Or actually, it doesn't really look Right. No. I mean,
2: I kind of had an... I obviously had an aptitude for it. And yeah. so um, I got a real estate license and I kind of jumped into real estate right away uh, and started working in the investment world and... Doing foreclosure auctions and helping people—that's right.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you started. That's interesting. So help our audience because foreclosure auctions—that hasn't really been a thing for quite a while. Starting
1: Mm -hmm. up now. Yes.
0: Kind of. A little bit. bit, yeah, Yeah. Talk 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 a little bit about that because most of us now, even like I started in the business six years ago, and and honestly, it's like that's not even on my radar.
2: Yeah. So it's. I mean. It's both interesting and sad. It, there's a lot to it. I, I happened to join when I first got licensed a very small brokerage that had it was a subsidiary of a Seattle brokerage okay. where the owners of the brokerage in Seattle did a lot of foreclosure auctions and were in, it, was, it was an investment minded brokerage. Mm-hmm. So this was a small kind of satellite office, and they needed somebody to essentially run their auction department. And so I was really interested and I just kept asking a lot of questions about it and wanting to study and like anytime they were in town, just taking up a lot of their time. And they were like, well, I mean, you seem to be interested, so do you want to do this? Mm. Um, so I just learned essentially how to comp houses and, you know, come up with ARV and study things. But foreclosure in general is the challenge there is that, first of all, I, I mean, I pretty much always tell any new investor, this is not what you want to do. <laughs> this is a very advanced thing to do. but. Um, you can get a really good deal buying it for foreclosure auction. The issue is, is most of the time you're not able to see the property prior to buying it. You could drive by it, mm-hmm. you know, every once in a while somebody Like, it might be open and people can walk through. It is breaking and entering if you do that. But (laughs) that is Yeah, heck with
0: getting an inspection. You you might not even be able to just walk through it.
2: Right. I mean, it may be occupied by somebody who's losing their house, and that's Mm -hmm. terrible. And you have to deal with getting them out of the property. And, you know, the condition of the home could be anything. So it's really a matter of really knowing your numbers and doing the math on what ARV is, what Mm -hmm. potential repair costs could come up, you know, knowing... Hey, the age of this house. It's on a hillside. There's a high chance there's a foundation problem. Mm-hmm. Like, w- if you're factoring in 150 grand, does your bid still make sense? You know, so it's all just the math of the situation.
0: And were you using? Did your company have more proprietary data that was outside of the MLS, or did you just learn how to do everything through the No, the I just MLS like system.
2: I I learned through the MLS, and also I just I've always liked researching stuff i mean there's part of what drew me the there's a ton of,
0: of data in there which i feel like most people don't really yeah <laughs> use.
2: Yeah. yeah well i mean portland maps is also That's super true. helpful mm-hmm. in finding info but i would just google the owners of the property mm-hmm. and see if i could find out anything about them
1: get, you look into the tax id of that property
2: and then dig into the owners yeah um so you could find info on the like who the owner is on the tax on tax records or even on portland maps it'll say mm-hmm.
1: and oh, I, I i was just wondering like how does knowing about the owners like help you figure out like that like what kind of damage might be in the house yeah well
2: I mean it was more uh like we can't tell if it's occupied or not okay so is it occupied like are they still living there um, I was able to at one point in time find like I googled the address of a property and found the tenant who lived there posting about like their illegal speakeasy in the basement and like the rat problem that they had and so it was able to give me some information so I kind of took the acting skills that i had in like character research and development and would Mm -hmm. applied it to that and was able to pull information um for people and then it's just risk analysis for folks and so there we had an investor list people who we would help buy at auction and um, i learned a lot doing that so that's what that's what got me into real estate in general um and And so
0: your your clients then weren't really like retail consumers like your traditional retail agent residential agent, you were more working with other realtors and investors. So kind of in your beginning, you got to build a nice network of Yeah, of kind of the industry folks that are big, bigger investors.
2: Yeah, it was a good entree into the profession in a lot of ways. And I was also able to really build um, a consistent business for myself as a brand new agent, because I had a couple of really great investor clients and I just did a lot of stuff with them Mm. at first. So being somebody that's not from here, and I didn't have a large network of people here, and I'm not, despite the acting thing, I'm probably more introverted. I'm not necessarily somebody who's gonna like go hand business cards out to people. I'm not gonna you know.
0: go knock and uh, no, cold call. No, but it, uh... it,
2: it was nice to get my experience that way, and then be able to host open houses and meet other people there gotcha. and build things from there. But it really like helped me learn a lot about houses in general. It was very interesting. You know, it was a great beginning.
1: Um, With your experience in foreclosure auctions, did you ever participate yourself? I did.
2: Many times. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, which
0: is the other huge advantage is because it taught you very quickly how to spot what what was a deal and what wasn't. Yep.
2: Yeah, there were definitely times where there would be a property that like was vacant and great and nobody was bidding on it. And we would be there with money, you know, at the auction. And it's like, well, all right, I'll bid on it. You know, I mean, the, the the trick was I didn't have any money to spend on these properties. So how was I going to get into this business um, without having funds myself? So I ended up doing a joint venture with a friend of ours who had actually invested in our bar. And when we lost money on the bar, we made sure he stayed whole. Mm-hmm. So he trusted us and that was really like he was the money. We were the labor, my husband and I, uh, you know, I found the deals. My husband did a lot of the work mm. and. Yeah, uh, it, it ended up working out. So we were able to actually do multiple flips over the course of a couple of years and some rentals as well, using other people's funds. And Okay, then we, so you
0: flipped some and then you kind of kept some and kind of did like that burr type, type yeah, method. Yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. we would do
2: a cash out, well, not a cash out refinance. We would just refinance um, mm-hmm. and be able to actually potentially pull the principal out. And on occasion we would do that. But for the most part, we made sure that our partners were able to get paid Mm-hmm. for their funds, and then we would keep um, our loan as low as possible in order to maximize cash flow.
1: So with these partners, you usually just paid them out yep. fully, and so they were partners afterwards?
2: Yeah. So we we um, would just let things roll. I think we let it roll for like two years. Okay. And then they decided that Portland's returns weren't as great as other places, which was true for mm. flipping. And also, I'm never going to do crappy work like or cut corners. I'm not. I mean, I sell to buyers. I have a reputation in town. I'm not right. gonna do like the lipstick flip. Yeah. So we weren't having home runs every time because I was hiding things from people or doing a bad job. Right, we right. were making like thirty thousand dollars, and they thought that that wasn't worth the risk, even yeah. though we had it dialed and were um, doing things quickly and turning things around really quickly. It also, like I mean, my real estate, my retail business started taking off, and I just didn't have the time mm-hmm. to devote to it anymore.
1: Yeah. So you, you basically switched from DIY to like hiring more contractors?
2: Yeah, we wanted things to be done right for yeah. any of those projects. Like there would be things like, you know, we could obviously do, install an Ikea kitchen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but, but as far as like the bigger things, roofs, things like that, that was, that was not us. We were hiring people for all those things.
1: How many projects were you having uh, run per year basically?
2: Um, I think we're doing maybe four. So it, oh, wasn't wow. a, it wasn't a huge thing. Like it was kind of a side project, more with the idea of starting to build wealth for ourselves than to create a whole business out of it. That wasn't the goal, is to be one of those people who had like 30 projects going at once. It's too overwhelming.
0: And there was more opportunity at that time, yeah. right? There was just more deals around and...
2: There was more opportunity, but also I had clients that I would give first opportunity for deals too. So it's not mm-hmm. like I had thousands of deals to choose right. from i would make sure my clients were all taken care of and then if there was somebody not buying something that would be the thing i'd go for yeah
0: and so now that you you mentioned you kind of tr- tr- transition into more um normal retail clients how much of your clients are kind of on this investment mindset now versus mm. just like first-time home buyers or move up buyers
2: yeah. I, I still definitely have some investors. Um, you know, I think that I'm kind of an investment geek, so I just attract those folks, but that I have primarily traditional buyers and sellers mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that investors also have taken a pause over the last couple of years <laughs> by and large, like some of them are still out there, but most of them have taken a pause and, um, are starting to come back out again.
0: Yeah. I feel like at this market, you, you gotta be ready to do quite a bit of work. To be able to make it happen i don't, I don't know what yeah. you think well i
1: mean for me like I, I like to work with a lot of investors like more first-time mm-hmm. investors people who really you know don't feel like they can afford a home but totally how can they get roommates or how can they you know rent out at adu or do short-term rentals so that's i feel like my investor pool is kind of moving up a little bit but not like the obviously the big time investors yeah pool. i
2: think i think that there have still been buy and hold investors over the last couple of years i feel like there are always buy and hold investors who are looking for deals but um, flippers, yeah. like I, I primarily had flippers, mm. and they paused.
0: They're on a pause. Yeah, yeah,
2: in the Portland market. So I just got a call from one of them the other day saying, "Hey, seems like maybe there's some opportunities." I was like, "You are right, my friend. <laughs> now is the time. <laughs> Let's get out
0: there." Totally. <laughs> and if you had to like, so if you had a first time investor or somebody that was kind of on the fence, that was like, "Hey, I, I kind of want to get into this. You know, I've seen what you've done and and what other folks have done." How, What's a good way? What's an easy way for me to get started?
2: Mm. Um, Well, I I think building your team is huge. Like Mm. making sure that you have professionals around you that you can trust that know what they're talking about. That's not just like your friend who got their real estate license three months ago, who's willing to write whatever offers for you. Like really find an agent who's gonna tell you the truth Mm. um, and what they think about a deal and listen to them if they're experienced. Like find a lender that's gonna be able to work through issues with you make sure you have a really great relationship with your contractor like people forget it's a relationship business Mm -hmm. so understanding that if you treat people badly you are not going to be prioritized is huge i think i think that there are a lot of investors who don't understand contractors or make sure people get paid on time or think you know like treat them poorly and your contractor is going to have such a huge impact on what happens with your house and your project and if you're going to make your budget you know or if you're going to close on time especially if you're holding something with hard money Mm. if you get delayed for three months you could be sunk yeah you could miss the market you know like you really have to take care of your team
0: and and for some of your clients that are looking for you know things that they can remodel a little bit what is some of the advice or or projects where you're like you don't want to think about doing you know like that's a little bit heavy or like oh yeah you know this this kind of little project that that might work, that might be something that you could, that's not crazy?
2: Um, I think like, if we're talking about flippers, then my advice is always to think about who your buyer is. Mm. I think that's really where people make a mistake, um, is not consider, like they think their own taste is what everybody wants, mm. which I don't know if you're a designer or really like perhaps. but. Oftentimes that's not the case. Like you really have to consider who's buying this house, what do they want? What are they interested in? Like do they care that you have like the most beautiful black, backsplash tile in the world here in this price point, you know, in this house? No. Right. Like they, they want to make sure that they're not gonna have to do a roof. In three years, because they're not gonna have the money to Mm -hmm. do the roof. Like, who are they? Do they have the budget for this or that? Like, what are they gonna be concerned about? So, focusing on who your demographic is and what design choices they wanna see is always gonna be really helpful.
0: Okay. Uh,
1: I'm curious, do you have like a system with your flips? Like, do you do like the same materials across, or are you thinking with each flip, like, an entire new design scheme?
2: So I'm not currently flipping anymore. I have moved into buying and holding myself okay. over the last couple of years. But when I was flipping, I would do something different with each house because I actually really like the design element. And I also know that Portlanders are not cookie cutter people. Portlanders are not, they are not interested in the flipper gray houses. Yeah, I sell, I sell them. I see them, you know, <laughs> I mean, and when I sell the flipper gray houses, I'm Encouraging them to stage with like a really great stager with like colorful furniture Who's bringing in funky pieces like Portlanders don't want to be boxed into a category So I think people make a mistake especially folks in other markets who come into Portland With their formula yeah, and they say I always use the same flooring and the same pink color and whatever mm-hmm. regardless of the house That's an issue. I mean if you can preserve a beautiful mid-century house and right. upgrade it in the kitchen a little bit, but nod to the mid-century roots of the house, it's always going to sell for a premium. You mean you
0: don't want to take the nice exposed beam ceiling and paint it white? (laughs) And I've seen plenty of people do that. I mean, they
2: assume that that's what people want, um, you know, because that's what their formula says or that's what the course they took says. But especially depending upon the neighborhood in Portland, there are going to be different finishes that people are expecting.
0: Keep the integrity of the home.
2: Yeah. I mean, they want quirk. They want charm.
1: That strategy applies not just
2: to flips and they go to your uh buy and holds as well yeah uh so yeah totally buy and holds I, if i can preserve something then i'm gonna do that um which i think has worked out pretty well like i i don't go as nice with the buy and holds i try to think about durability with yeah. um with a rental property and what's going to last over time but yeah i mean even with my traditional business though when i'm encouraging sellers to get their house ready for market it's not a standard this is what's going to work no matter what with every house. It may not, you know, different houses require different things. It's, that's the beauty of it for me. That's the fun of real estate is that every day is different.
0: And when you do your your buy and hold projects, are you just like saving up and putting 20, 25% down? Or are you trying to do like the the private money and refinance out? Or what what have you, or have you done at all? Or what's your preferred...
2: Yeah, I've kind of done. I've kind of done it all. Um, I started without having any money, and so we would do the the burr method. You mm-hmm. know, just buying. I bought um, first rental property. Bought it was actually on the MLS, but it was uh, bankruptcy short sale. Mm-hmm. So bought with hard money. Put in I want to say like twenty thousand dollars worth of stuff. Refinanced. Got um, refinanced at the total note mm-hmm. and not um, including the renovation work. Because, oh, it included the renovations as Yeah, we, as we well. financed that with our hard money lender, we were able to finance in the renovation work as well. Nice. So the note showed the total um, that we were in and we refinanced out of it at that price and that was it. And we were able to do it again. So having no money in it was pretty phenomenal right? Um, and allowed us to buy something else pretty soon. Like I, I, we're not looking to buy things multiple times a year. It's usually about once a year, mm-hmm. try to buy something. But over the last couple of years, we've either 1031 um into other properties, or we've just done 25% down.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Um, can you tell us about your entire portfolio right now, what that looks like?
2: Yeah, so I have, it's not a giant portfolio, but I have five um, five actual properties and eight total doors. So I have two single families, one single family with an ADU, and then two duplexes.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's, and, and you've been in the business now for, when did you start? What year was uh,
2: I got licensed in 2015. So oh, okay. seven years.
0: So yet. yeah, you're kind of uh, pretty much on that one, one per, mm-hmm. per year pace. That's great.
2: Yeah. So I, I think that, um, my advice as far as where to buy or what to buy when people are asking me that, I always tell them like, I personally only buy things that at some point in my life I would live in. So mm. college Kim retired kim whatever that Whatever. sense makes sense like yeah. if i wouldn't want to live there at some point in my life it's not for me mm. you know i mean you may be able to get better returns doing that but uh, that's why we've targeted single families by and large in like good locations because i feel like you get people who appreciate the house a little bit more um, or i find stuff that you know maybe is a bit further out like i have a duplex in Canby that has really great numbers and had great mm-hmm. numbers off the bat, but it was in Canby. So I feel right. like a lot of Portland investors didn't consider it. Um, but it's been great for us.
0: That makes sense. So, and, and you're not, you're all kind of in state.
2: Yeah, I am. Um, I know this market. Yeah. I trust myself. Right. Right. So, I feel comfortable here. You know, I know there are a lot of people that invest out of state, and we're definitely an equity growth market more than a cash flow market. And I might Mm -hmm. change my opinion at some point in time. But right now, I like the fact that I can drive by places, and I know what's happening in each specific neighborhood, because I have my finger on the pulse of it
0: with Mm -hmm.
2: the amount of business that I do. So I'm very attuned to what's happening here. And I feel like I have more of a crystal ball than the average person in this market, where I feel like I can see the trends coming. um, And I don't have the time to pay attention to San Diego right? or (laughs) San Antonio or Nashville or wherever, you know, wherever's hot. Yeah.
1: Um, So you have the one, the one duplex in Canada or the rest in Portland.
2: So I have one duplex in Portland and one single family home with ADU in Portland.
1: Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, Have you had any trouble with like the tenant, you know, landlord tenant laws?
2: So um, one of them, we are self managing right now and Mm -hmm. I haven't had any issues with it. It was rented when we bought it. um, Mm -hmm. So we just took over. The other one also rented when we bought it, but a fairly complicated situation. Um, and I just put property management on it right away. Cause I figured that that was going to be the safest thing to do. I just didn't want the liability for myself.
0: Mm. So you could tell that, that with that one, there, there might be some stuff. So you're just like, I am not it was
2: severely under market. Yeah, it was just severely under market. And I also know myself and I've never been one to just jack up rent on people. Right. Um, and I know it needs to be increased. It's just not sustainable to be where it is. So I didn't want to do it personally. So mm-hmm. somebody else can.
0: Right. Makes sense. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. Rather spend the money on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I ask because, you know, there's a lot of investors that are leaving Portland. You know, they're scared and they're, they're running away. I've seen a lot of, yeah. you know, multifamilies sitting in Portland, and people are always like, you know, watch out for those move out costs with those tenants because yep. they're, they're going to basically ruin your investment.
2: Yeah, I can say from the perspective of a listing agent who does a lot of business that I've had, I am going to say, 15 listing appointments with investors in the last couple months for people who want to sell in the Portland area, which is obviously the opposite of what these landlord-tenant laws were supposed to do. It was supposed to create more protections and the economics of it state that it's just going to increase rent in Portland in general. So I'm comfortable with it because I don't care. I'm never going to... Push people out, or you know, right. um, do anything sketchy. I know a lot of people just don't want the government telling them what to do, which I understand. But ultimately, if it's about an investment, I think Portland's a safe place to invest. And if you factor in these costs, price, rental prices are just going up at the moment. So it seems like a, a reasonable investment for somebody who's willing to take those risks.
0: Yeah, I mean we are, as we like to talk about. I mean in my personal opinion is when when there is a little bit of challenge, it creates opportunity. So when when we see people for sure leaving, that means that's a good opportunity for new investors to come in. And yeah, you, you might have to hire a property manager or you might have to become familiar with some some laws, but if you look around the country too, I mean it's there's if you look in California, I mean what what is it in San Francisco? The rent.
1: Oh, rent control two percent. Yeah, wow. I mean I loved it. I, loved it <laughs> I lived there for eight years. My rent went from two thousand to twenty one hundred in eight years. Wow. Yeah, I should have left.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean I mean it's just I I feel like people have this a lot of landlords here have this like they don't really see the bigger picture, mm-hmm. you know, they don't, it's, it's like, it's not that bad compared to other places. And and yeah, people are going to have issues and, and they're going to have times where it's harder to get tenants out. But, um, I mean, you have to remember at the end of the day, it's it's, it's someone's house, right? right. It's, it's their life. Right. So.
2: Exactly. And, and I mean, ultimately, I think that we human beings generally speaking are fairly terrible investors. Like we're all constantly trying to time things and we operate based on fear a, a lot of the time. And, it's the opposite of what we should be doing. I mean, you know, you buy stocks when there's blood in the water. That's, right. That's the rule.
0: That's the rule when there's blood in the streets. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so uh, it's when you see everybody else running and people still want to live here and there are not very many rental properties available. Is that the time yeah. to sell your investment here? I don't think <laughs> doesn't so. doesn't sound like it to me. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, especially when the, the rent index is just up like crazy. Yeah so what are your your kind of like medium and long-term plans i mean have you reached the point in your business where it's just like fully sustainable you're going to keep growing it um are you going to keep trying to reinvest in real estate what are are your long-term plans
2: that's a good question going back
0: to the restaurant world yeah yeah. going to reopen the bar thank you (laughs) (laughs) um
2: so long-term plans So, really i am just on the course to financial independence i'm not there yet but i'm that's you know hopefully within the next couple years and then it's just less stress i actually really like what i'm doing i don't have any problem selling real estate i enjoy it i like helping people it feels useful so i don't plan on going anywhere Mm -hmm. once i reach that place but it just you know it's a stress reduction tool and then as far as the the rental properties i've never been somebody who felt like i needed a giant portfolio it Mm -hmm. just seems like there it's a lot of stress for not a lot of reward and i also know what enough means right and that's my advice to people is figure out what enough means for you because the people who don't know what enough means have to keep buying and investing and growing right there's always going to
0: be someone with a slightly larger portfolio you gotta compare yourself to
2: right and then when you know like you can't take it with you when you die so (laughs) what are you doing with all of that like yeah i mean sure you might want to pass it on to your children or whatever but you only have so much life left and you only have so many hours in the day so if you haven't read Your Money or Your Life, I recommend it. It's mm-hmm. a wonderful book. Um, you know, and that's kind of what my philosophy is. So I'm just working towards getting to that number and then just being useful to other human
1: beings.
0: Mm. That's
1: a great philosophy. I love that. Thanks.
0: Yeah, and, and another thing we like to hear, I know we know that you're you're a mom and h- how do you balance like, you know, having a, a career not just in being an, an agent, but being an investor and, you know, remodeling stuff and how, how do you balance that with like raising a kid and and, and you yeah. know?
2: Well, I I mean I couldn't do anything that I do without my husband Matt. He's like we're marriage is a business, which mm. is a very unromantic way of talking about There's it. It's a contract, a
0: legal contract that you sign. That's, that's the
2: <laughs> I mean that's the historical yeah. perspective on marriage, and it's true. Like I married somebody who is a phenomenal partner in every respect. So. He's the stay-at-home parent with our kid. You know, He handles all of that stuff so that I can be off in the world selling real estate and not have to worry about being home for that. And I'm very lucky, because I know that's not the case with every agent. He's fully supportive. And as far as remodeling work or whatever, and that's really his skill set. So mm. he's learned over time to get very good at that, um, when I can convince him to do it. <laughs> so um, yeah, he, he's really been managing our portfolio for us okay
0: okay so he does the kind of the management stuff yeah he
2: does the management stuff when i mean we have professional management on a couple of them at this point Mm -hmm. but you know he's he's been the primary contact for folks because he is that restaurant management touch and Mm -hmm. good with people and um handy so it's been great because i don't have to stay available for that and i can just focus on my job which is nice yeah so i mean he's he's the parent and then of course i try to um spend as much time with my kiddo as possible. So, so much of my business at this point in my career has been about making it very sustainable because everybody thinks real estate's really easy and it's mostly just like going and seeing pretty houses yeah. and hanging out with your friends and- e- Eating lunch, doing yeah. podcasts. Yeah, martini all... lunches or <laughs> yeah. whatever. And it's, you know, I mean, uh, you- have a very different opinion once you actually get into it. And I think that what's the adage in real estate? Like, you can work any 80 hours a week that you want. (laughs) (laughs) So it it really can be a very, um, there's just a lot of tethering to the job. Like, you can never really fully turn off. So I've spent the last couple of years seeking ways to minimize that tethering for myself, and I've Mm. Joined forces with some other amazing agents to. I just I'm such a dork. I call us the Avengers of real estate Like we're just people who are really really good at it who all have sort of specialized in different pieces um, And we work together. So I really am just listing focused Mm. at this point in time Um, And that means I'm not out every night and showing Showing houses. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so I mean it's got its own Challenges, but I I really have so much more free time now than Mm. I did before which has been really great.
1: So do you have like office hours where people can't call you or can't reach
2: you? No, I mean, uh, I try to set expectations with clients. Like I really am not going to be working late at night or all the time if it's not necessary, but emergencies happen. People have different schedules, you know? So if somebody needs to talk to me at 7:30 at night, I'm not going to like send them to the voicemail because that's not the, it just, most people don't need anything yeah. at those hours. Like when we had that freak snow day in April, I actually had two different properties having listing pictures taken that day. So I was woke up to 6.30 a.m., phone calls, like, oh my God, there's snow on the ground. What do we, you know, like, so things happen, of course, and I have to be available for it. But for the most part, it's it's, it's fairly nine to five at this point.
1: Okay, no, that's great. I mean, I need to learn from Yeah. <laughs> I got those 80 hours unlocked. Yeah, sure. yeah there you go. Not 100, so. <laughs> Uh, if we're, if people are looking to uh, reach you or find you,
2: how can they find you? Uh, well, you can Google me if you like, but <laughs> I'm also at kim at com is the best way to email me. Um, and you can go to the Living Room website, livingroomrealty.com um, and find me on there and find some more information about me.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate your insight and um, yeah, we look forward to following your career.
2: Awesome. Thank you guys. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Realized Gains podcast. If you have any questions for our co-hosts or guests, don't hesitate to reach out. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or at jordanleemortgage.com.